Science Talk Show. Science Talk Show presented by Times of Biotech is a platform where researchers, professors and scientists will share their inspiring journey and their research through which they are looking forward to develop a sustainability in the world. Hello everyone. I'm Sobin and I'm delighted to welcome you all and a very special guest Katia Hugard. I welcome you Katia. Many thanks, Sobin. It's great to be here today. Well, pleasure is mine to have you. Katya, before I start asking questions, could you mind telling about yourself? And uh, while you're telling, I have two pictures. I would like to present them as well. Sounds great. Let's do it. Okay, let me start sharing the screen. Hello everyone, my name is Katja Hogard and I'm a plant biologist. I was born in the United States of America, but I've spent a lot of my time in England. And this picture is from my family home in England. As you can see, gardening and learning how to grow my own organic fruit and veg has been a big part of my life. Uh, yes, so with, with me, um, my love of plant biology really comes from working hands-on with plants in my own garden. From a young age, I learned the importance and the value of growing your own healthy, delicious, sustainable, and nutritious food. Here is a picture of me earning my Master's of Research degree from Imperial College London. And the gentleman with me is my dad, Peter Hogard, and we are at our family home. In this photo, you can see me and my undergraduate research supervisor, Dr. Greg Clark. This is at my graduation from the University of Texas at Austin in 2016. And here's a beautiful shot of the iconic UT Tower. Uh, this is the University of Texas at Austin. And now we're going back to Imperial College where I am currently doing research and studies. This shows me presenting an interactive science exhibit called Plants vs. Aphids. At Plants vs. Aphids, this was at Imperial College Festival, and this was an opportunity to talk about my research to the general public. And now we have a few views of my work at the lab. Here you can see the metacago, the green clover-like plants, and the tiny pea aphids that I work with. This is just a candid insight into what does it look like hands-on working with plants and aphids in a lab. Also during my PhD, I've had many opportunities to talk about my work at conferences, and that's what we can see on our next photo. Here I am presenting my work at a conference in Glasgow in Scotland. We also have an up-close view of the Metacago plants that I work with. These are one of the many model organisms used in plant biology. And finally, here's a lovely photo of me and my good friends from the Imperial College Speakers Club, which has been a big part of my student experience at Imperial College. This is where I have honed my skills as a public speaker and made many lifelong friends. I'm currently doing my PhD at Imperial College, where I work hands-on with plants and aphids in a molecular biology laboratory setting. Here's a little view of me at work in the lab, surrounded by all of the chemicals and equipment that you need to do molecular biology. 
thank you so much kalsia for sharing your views about your life and everything but that was really amazing but i can see as a phd candidate you are working on ethics and that is a common problem everyone of us are facing and that makes me curious to know more about your research and even i must say my viewers will also try to know so can you uh, tell more about your work certainly sobin my work my phd project is looking into the genetic and physiological basis of plants innate resistance to aphids aphids are little green bugs that are a bit like plant mosquitoes if you think about it a mosquito bite in itself is not that dangerous or deadly to a human being however if you get covered in mosquito bites it's a problem and also mosquitoes can transmit deadly diseases to human beings that's why aphids are a good analog to mosquitoes in the world of plants like mosquitoes aphids use needle-like mouth parts to pierce the covering of a plant and to slurp out the delicious sugary and nutritious phloem sap that flows inside plants one aphid is not a problem for a plant but when a plant becomes covered with aphids this can seriously harm a plant it can outright kill the plant or make it very unproductive for example if it was a type of plant that we are going to harvest fruit or grains from it may make very few fruit and grains over its life cycle because it's being dogged by aphids also, aphids can clone themselves. Now, this is something not a lot of people know, but in aphids, the species is almost entirely female for most of its life cycle. Aphids are, in a way, born pregnant. They have several generations telescoped inside them like Russian dolls. So that means that when a baby female aphid is born, and a baby aphid is called a nymph, this, as soon as this nymph reaches maturity, which is usually at around 10 days, she can start popping out genetically identical clones of herself with no need to find a mate. This means that one aphid in your greenhouse can soon turn into hundreds of aphids in a few weeks. That's why understanding effective aphid control is a major question in sustainable agriculture. In the case of the plants that I am studying, they are called metacago, and we got a glimpse of the metacago earlier in the presentation. They are the clover-like plants. Metacago exists in many different genotypes, which are kind of like different varieties of plants with a different genetic makeup. Certain genotypes of metacago have a strong innate resistance to aphids. When aphids feed on these plants, the aphids lose weight, cease reproducing, and die off within two or three days. So imagine if we could put this innate resistance, which doesn't require any pesticide, into more economically important plants. That means we wouldn't have to spray the plants with pesticide, which is bad for us because pesticide residue on foods is bad for human health. And it would also be good for the environment because we aren't blasting fields with pesticide and killing off many other innocent insects like butterflies and bees. So what I'm looking into is I'm looking into what plant resistance genes control the resistance to aphids in the metacago because these resistant genotypes have certain so I'm working with these genes and also finding out what is the physiological mechanism in terms of plant hormones and metabolites 
when a resistant plant successfully defends itself against the aphids. So in my work, I use a lot of techniques. I use many molecular biology techniques such as polymerase chain reaction to copy DNA and find out how much of a certain gene is in a sample. I also use LCMS, which is a type of mass spectrometry to find out what chemicals are in a sample. So those are some of the ways that I'm investigating the defense response. You have a lot to give to the world through your research. But while you were talking about your research with the so much of passion, I got one question. What makes mm -hmm. you to come to the plant biology specifically, if you ask me, because there are a lot of areas where you can research as a science, being a science person. So what makes you to come to plant biology? Oh, well, we had some foreshadowing of that in our earlier in our earlier slides there. So when we saw the slides from my life, you may have noticed that I like to spend a lot of time in a garden. So my love of plant biology comes from learning organic vegetable gardening with my parents here at our home in England throughout my whole life, basically. Ever since I could walk or hold a spade, I have been um, enrolled in helping with the garden, you could say. And from a young age, it really gave me a real affinity and closeness for plants. Ever since I was a little kid, I'd known about harvesting tomatoes, about planting seeds, and kind of learning about the life cycle of plants. I also feel like growing up so close to nature and in the countryside where I live here also gave me a real appreciation for the effort it takes to produce our food. Our home is also surrounded by many farms as well with fields full of grains and bigger cash crops. So also when I was growing up, I saw just how much pesticide and fertilizer farmers dumped on those fields and it just seemed so dirty. My parents being more of the organic vegetable gardening philosophy, their philosophy is more to control pests with natural chemicals like plant extracts and also to time your crops so that the pests don't eat them. So growing up seeing these two different approaches made me think there's got to be a better way to feed the world that's more organic and more strategic and doesn't rely on all of these chemicals which we must remember often ultimately come from fossil fuel sources that was an amazing one because i think all the parents should adopt this skills of nurturing their children and they should advise their children how you can use organic food but moving on, apart from a, a home, having a home garden, you are also a science person. So I would like to ask you this question. Do you think that science can solve the hunger problem in humans' life? Oh, definitely. So we are being faced with global climate change. A lot of our traditional or conventional ways of doing things simply aren't going to work very well in the coming decades. So we as scientists, also as farmers, consumers, have to make ethical and wise choices during this challenging time. In my opinion, yes, science does hold the key to helping uh, the human population stay healthy and well-nourished. However, it doesn't just rely on GMOs. Just taking one technology or one innovation and saying that's the magic bullet that's going to fix everything is a very flawed way of thinking. Rather, I, say, I would say that 
GMO technology, say producing genetically modified crops that are drought resistant, pest resistant, richer in nutrition, and also looking into developing traditional crops for wider scale commercialization and growth are all parts of keeping the human race fed and healthy. Of course, the answer doesn't just lie in modifying the plants themselves. We also have to think about ways to make irrigation smarter and more efficient, so not so much water is wasted. Another problem with irrigation is that salinity can build up in the soil as well. So I would say that there's a lot of crossover between engineering and biology to figure out how we can make agriculture more efficient and sustainable. Another side of agriculture that's well worth looking into is vertical farming, which would allow us to grow fresh, healthy food in urban environments close to the densest populations. I totally agree with you, Kasia. But I think if we keep on talking about this topic, this is a never-ending topic to talk. And I, uh, I would like to go to our next question, that is, how can a researcher develop science communication skills during PhD? It's a great question. In my presentation that we just saw, you may have noticed the Imperial College Festival photo. That's the one where I'm standing in front of a poster with some giant aphids behind me. Communicating your research ideas is a really underappreciated part of being a scientist. I passionately believe that all scientists should do some public speaking training and also learn about communicating their research to the average person. Because a lot of great ideas are developed, but they're often kind of kept more in the academic world or the world of scientific publications and aren't shared with the general public as much as they should be. This lack of good communication is part of the reason why GMOs are very vilified in many places in the Western world. I know we're talking to a global audience here, but for example, GMOs have such a bad rap here in Europe. Well, I'm in the UK, which is no longer part of Europe, but back over there in Europe, a lot of GMO crops are banned from being grown commercially or outdoors in field trials. And that's because I have to say that biotechnologists did a pretty crummy job of communicating all the good things about GMOs to the general public when they first became very popular and well-known in the early 2000s. So I would say that some ways that scientists and PhD students can develop their communication skills is to join a public speaking club such as Toastmasters to generally learn about how to speak, how to express yourself, how to choose the right words and structure your message. But also I would highly recommend joining any outreach activities that are provided at the university or research center. Many research centers and universities have a public engagement festival, such as Imperial Festival at Imperial College or Explore UT at the University of Texas, where I did my undergraduate degree. These are events where researchers design a, um, like a little stall. It's like a mini temporary exhibit, often with things like posters, hands-on activities, and souvenirs to give to the general public. It's a great exercise to think about how can I simplify the message of my research so that school kids, senior citizens, and people from all different backgrounds can come along and learn something at my exhibit. Well, that is a very good advice because we all understand being a PhD student, how it's important, how important it is to be 
communicative because you have to communicate your research with the world apart from that uh, since you are in uk i would like to ask you another question because there are a lot of students out there who want to study in uk wants to be a part of imperial college and other colleges in uk so how can you say that uh, how can a prospective phd student make connection to the research groups in uk that's a great question as well so a little bit about my story is that i was born in austin texas in the united states but I moved around a lot with my parents while I was growing up. One of the places we spent a lot of time was the UK. And when I finished my undergraduate degree, I wanted to move back to the UK because there were some exciting opportunities in plant science. And also I wanted to spend a little more time in this country. In order to make good connections and find a PhD project, my top recommendation is to use the personal touch especially here in the UK, supervisors really appreciate that one-to-one -one communication and students taking a proactive approach to finding PhD opportunities. How I did it was that I narrowed down my focus on which universities I considered attending. And then what I did is, is I looked at the plant biology department's website. From there, I read the profiles of the different supervisors, or supervisors are also called principal investigator or group leader, depending on what country you're in. And I looked at their research topics. When I made a list of supervisors whose research topics interested me and had some relevance to the research I had done as an undergrad and other things I was generally interested in, I wrote a letter of introduction explaining who I was, what kind of undergraduate research experience I had, and what my kind of motivations and interests in plant science are. And then I sent that letter of introduction to the different supervisors on the list whose work interested me. The good news is that about 75% of these supervisors wrote back to me. Now, this was back in like 2015 when it was still quite all right to travel around, no COVID, no, none of that. So I was even able to meet many of these supervisors in person and take a tour of their lab. I highly recommend doing this if at all possible. By going to a lab and meeting the supervisor, you can tell whether you would work well with this person or not. I did meet some supervisors who I can tell you, they may have been brilliant and successful scientists, but I just couldn't see myself having a good personal chemistry with them to work closely with them for maybe five years in the future. It's also important to have a look at the lab space because sometimes a lab will look splendid in photos, but may actually not be as up to date once you get there. It's also a good idea to go to labs to see what kind of facilities they have, what is the layout, does there seem to be a good workplace atmosphere and a friendly workplace culture in that environment. So if you can go in person to meet the supervisor, I highly recommend it. The other issue at stake here is funding. Funding is quite an important barrier to many people getting a postgraduate education. Many universities in the UK do have funding for postgraduates from the college. And often if a supervisor really wants to have you on their team, they will help you find funding or arrange funding for you. 
Also, many countries um, will give postgraduate educational funding to people who want to study in different countries, but these scholarships may have a caveat that you have to live and work for the next three or five years back in your home country to use that education. So I would say that supervisors can be very good at finding funding for you to help you overcome that obstacle. That was, I think, a, your secret which you shared with our audience. And I think a lot of students can benefit from this. And if they follow this, uh, what steps which you told about the finding funding, talking to supervisor. And in fact, this was a, something different to know, like uh, to uh, like uh, visit the labs. Because I didn't, at least I never heard from anyone saying uh, this step, you can do this also. But I think this was a really nice that you shared with the audience and a lot of students can benefit from this. Uh, moving on to actually, I got to know about one secret about you that you are also working as a science advisor, which is, uh, yeah, which is like different from a usual thing. So can you share about uh, your experiences as a science advisor and even can you suggest our scientists, researchers who are working in this field can also take up this uh, post? I'm so glad you mentioned that, uh, Sobin. That is something I'm very proud of. During, my, during the last year, I have decided to branch out from traditional academic research and make some connections with the world of entrepreneurship. At Imperial College London, there is a lot of connection between research and entrepreneurship that is fostered through organizations like the Imperial Enterprise Lab, which is a startup advice center and incubator. In my case, it was quite serendipitous. Both of the company founders who reached out to me did not come from Imperial. They came from other sources here in the UK, but they used LinkedIn to find my profile and apparently liked what they saw with my well-rounded experience and knowledge of plant science. One of the companies that I am working with is called Pally Plants. And Pally Plants is a marketplace and information source for houseplant lovers here in the UK. The founder is named Ashuli Jayan, and she is originally from India, and her business partner is Sophie Watson, a houseplant enthusiast here in the UK. So with these, with these two partners, they have the expertise in the business, marketing, and social media side, but what they needed was a plant biology expert to help make sure that their company had this edge of scientific knowledge and expertise that other houseplant companies wouldn't have. So that's why I work in a volunteer role, but it's a great role because I learn a lot about entrepreneurship from my business partners in the small company. In that role, I have advised on designing things like a search engine for the website using scientific terms, uh, such as Latin names for houseplants. I have also written a couple of articles for the info source that explain difficult scientific topics like do houseplants actually clean the air and how to understand Latin names for people who do not come from a scientific background. Also, along with Ashuli and Sophie, I entered the We Innovate Startup Accelerator program earlier this year at Imperial College. It was just a fantastic learning opportunity to learn about how do you start your own business and um, how do you find funding, how do you network, how do you pitch it. It was a very exciting opportunity. 
In my other capacity, I am a science advisor for the company 3D Agriculture. 3D Agriculture is founded by Luca Ahrens, who is a mechanical and robotics engineer from Belgium, who's also spent a lot of his life in Africa too, also a multicultural guy like myself. So he is, he, he has designed and built vertical farms and I advise him on scientific and horticultural aspects of what plants to grow, how to propagate the plants, and also through my scientific network I have helped recruit other scientists and researchers for potential partnerships and collaborations. Although my two business connections were truly good luck with these two founders reaching out to me, I would say that if other plant biologists would like to get involved with entrepreneurship, they may want to ask the startup accelerator at their college or university if there are any companies seeking people with their expertise. That's what I would advise. You can also browse LinkedIn as a scientist and look for startups that might have some connection with your area of scientific expertise. And perhaps in a bit of a reversal of the roles, the scientist reaches out to the business person and asks if they'd like to collaborate. So I would say that it's, um, it's a very exciting thing to do and it's often very validating to see how your knowledge, even if you think perhaps, oh, I'm not, I'm not the most brilliant or knowledgeable scientist out there, I'm a pretty B-rate researcher to be honest, but the minute you step into the business world, that specialist knowledge is highly valued. You're not just another researcher, you're somebody with quite special knowledge that people are excited to learn from quite interesting because we all always focus on a conventional methods of just going to the research world or like a professor job but these are the non-conventional methods which which are also open for a science person specifically plant biologists and they can use their knowledge so this was really interesting Definitely, Kadi, I won't take much time but uh, before you leave I would like to ask a last question what message you would like to give to a fellow researcher or the people or the students who wants to come join this uh, world of science or the world of plant biology? Well, I would say that to always make sure that you are making sure you're a well-rounded person with many interests and that you appreciate plants in all their glory, not just the one narrow focused research topic you may be working on at this moment. I think that plants give us a lot of joy in life. Think about beautiful flowers, trees, and forests that give us medicine for the soul when we're feeling depressed. Uh, think about how many herbal medicines come from plants. Think about how much delicious food originates from the plant kingdom. So I would say my message for fellow plant biologists is don't lose sight of the wonder and diversity of plants. Um, even if you get fed up with working with them in the lab, remember there's a whole world of plants out there and you can always take what you currently know, you can add on to that knowledge, you can change direction, and you can still be involved with plants in a positive way that is helping the world become a greener place. So that's the thing, always make sure to make sure you're a well-rounded person of many interests and not just a narrow specialist. Thank you so much, Kajia, for sharing your views. Your research is definitely efforts. After completing your research, definitely it won't be a headache to the people because you are coming up with the natural things. And 
the story of your parents nurturing you for the organic food and specifically one non conventional ways which many few people will know about like being a science advisory and you can also collaborate with the startups there were a lot of things which you told and which was not known to the people i must say very few people will know so it was really nice to have you on my show and uh, like uh, you uh, you was a one first guest a very special guest and of course we do have connections on linkedin which you mentioned like we also met on the linkedin so obviously people can use that platform very well for the professional work so thank you so much for sharing and giving your time specifically you must be so busy to do all these roles and you are a multitasker so you also took uh, accepted my invitation so this was really nice thank you so much for being on show oh thank you for having me so been it's been a real pleasure talking with you and thank you for arranging this whole interview and getting everything set up i know it takes a lot of effort on, on your end too and you've been a great communicator with all of that so um it's my pleasure to share some of these insights which i think are kind of unconventional not your sort of typical wisdom that you hear from advisors so i'm really glad to help people think in a more open-minded outside the box kind of way Thank you so much Sobin and I wish you all the best with your next guests on your show. I I will definitely tune in and share it with my friends. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to see more guests and definitely we will connect with more people and thank you so much. Bye.